our lives follow now the pattern of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection and even his ascension and his glorious reign. Not that we are Christ, but that our lives follow his pattern. And so we are able to cry out and our Father hears us. And that is our theme for the pastoral prayer this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are such a tender, loving Heavenly Father. While we were still in sin, you sent your only begotten Son in such a surprising way, born of a woman, under the law, under the requirements of the law, fulfilling the law perfectly with his righteous life, and yet dying a sacrificial death on a cross for our sins so that we who are sinners might live and be free on account of your Son. And because he lives, we live. You are such a tender Lord. You send your Holy Spirit to woo us, to open our hearts. Even when we resist, we cannot overcome the loving compelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, unrelenting as he pursues us throughout all of our lives to yield ourselves to this wonderful person of Jesus. Even today, even now, he comes to us. Even through the waving of the palms, and of the children, the images across thousands of years now, which harken back to little children on that day when the healing man came through on a donkey, the promised one, misunderstood, but a savior, salvation in some way coming. And our hearts are moved today because we need salvation. And the waving palms speak to the, the dire need of hope in our own hearts today because of relationships broken, because of confusion about who we are and what we want to be and where we're going in life and where we've come from and what's the meaning of life and the failures that we must face in our own lives and the brokenness that we feel and the plans that we had that are no longer there, all of these things mixed up in a million times over in a cauldron all here together in this congregation and we feel it intensely. And we cry out to you, waving our palms, hear us, Lord. Hear us, Lord. 
Come hear us. Come mend us in our broken place, Savior. And you come. You come humbly, meekly, gently, and yes, in your own time, and sometimes mysteriously, often quietly, often under the guise of an event, a loving friend, maybe a doctor, or a teacher, or a parent, a professor even, maybe even a stern word of correction, possibly even a prayer. But you come to us through the power of your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit applying your word to our lives, often in flesh, with skin on, as it were. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you are there. We believe. Help thou our unbelief. Father, we lift before you the needs of this congregation, but we also pray especially for the ministry of this congregation today, the care teams, who minister to each other, who help each other, who listen to each other, who pray with each other. We ask that you would grant wisdom, anointing, and love, and much forgiveness and tenderness. And now we commend our lives to you and to the word of your grace and to the power of all of your promises, which are all yes and amen, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A reading today is a reading for Palm Sunday. It's the epistle, and it's taken from Philippians chapter 2. And it's reading verses 5 through 11. And as is your custom, would you stand for the reading 
of today's lesson. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Can our tears and our sorrows be salvaged? He was an older minister, a PhD from Edinburgh. a Baptist minister. He came to me because I was safe, another denomination. He came to me and he told me, with his head in his hands, sobbing, that he had been depressed all of his ministry. And therefore, he felt his ministry had been a failure. And now he was in retirement, and he was looking back over his life, trying to make sense of God's grace in the midst of the mess that he felt was his inner life. And he had come to me to try to help make sense of his tears. I asked him the diagnostic questions that we in pastoral counseling ask to try to get at the heart of any spiritual disease 
any spiritual pathology that was there that, that we could identify to possibly uh, treat biblically, spiritually, but I found none. There was no indication that it was a singular dark spot of unfaithfulness in this man's soul. Quite the opposite. I doubt I had ever seen a more faithful Christian or pastor. But yet there he was in front of me, weeping and talking about a life of heartache. Mysterious. I wonder if any of you have ever been there, or if some of you are there today. Now, we all have days like that. We all have blue days. But the Apostle Paul was talking about something deeper when he wrote to the Philippians... And he wrote in chapter 1, verse 29, uh, about something that is setting up the passage that I read. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, the Philippians suffered one way, and my friend before me that day suffered another. And you may be suffering yet another way. But the people of God may suffer, and in fact, in a mysterious, enigmatic way, the Bible says it is granted to you. That is, it has been given to you by God. Not only to believe, we know that faith is a gift, but here Paul says suffering is a gift. It has been granted, it has been given to you, not only to believe, but to suffer for him in believing. Now, he doesn't unfold this and work this out and say, now here is why not all of the divine curtain of God's sovereignty is pulled back the way these curtains are, are drawn, just a little bit is drawn so that you see, no, it has been given to you not only to believe but to suffer so that I was unable to tell my friend, now I, I know why God allowed this. No, I don't. 
And I know when it will end. In fact, I will be able to treat you in such a way as I can remove the suffering from you. No. But there is a, an answer, Paul says. It has been given to you not only to believe but to suffer. But then he goes on and writes Philippians 2, what we have labeled and, and given as chapters and verses, Philippians 2, and as I read verses 5 through 11, and a beautiful picture of the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this magnificent picture, it is a, a, a theological picture, a Christological picture of the Lord Jesus and his incarnation, and in his incarnation, his accomplishment from humiliation to exaltation, he gives the practical answer to suffering saints. And the answer is that our suffering can be transformed into joy. Philippians, as many of us who have studied this wonderful little book of the Bible, has been called the book of joy, and so this section of Philippians is also leading to the subject of, of joy. It is not leading to the subject of lifting and removing affliction and suffering. But as you were, if you have your Bible and you look in verse 18, the end of all of this, he says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That is, with one who also is suffering. The end of what he is going to talk about is joy. Now, this is not a giddy tiptoe through the tulips and leave this life happy and dance into heaven joy. This is the deep down abiding peace and trust in the God who is in control of our lives, even if we find ourselves tied up at the stake with the embers being stoked at our feet kind of joy. So how does that work? How is it that suffering is, is transformed into, into joy? Well, there are, there are two, two waves of wisdom that we could remember from this passage. If I could use a prop from this morning. And the, the first palm wave of wisdom that, that the Apostle Paul displays here is very simple and it's even something I, I saw that we were, we were singing about 
earlier. It's all based on this great Christological, theological statement that Paul introduces about the life and ministry of Jesus. It, it, our, our suffering transformed to joy. First, the way to gain is to lose. That will lead to a transformation of suffering into joy. You say, no, Milton, where'd you make that up at? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gained by losing. It's important to understand what this passage is not saying, because it is a passage that has a, a history of misunderstanding. The passage is not saying that Jesus emptied himself of his divine nature. It says that he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives. The New Revised Standard Version, I think, has it, has it very good at this point when it says he did not need to exploit his role in heaven. He did not need to exploit his divinity, <clears throat> but he released it. <clears throat> he left his, to use poetic language, he left his royal robe of heaven. He, he discarded his royal robe of heaven and put upon himself uh, the cloak of a servant. But he never stopped being God. If, if we said we wanted to rid ourselves of the red ants, of course, in, in our area, and we say, well, we go to NC State and we talk to an entomologist, and the entomologist said, well, you, you would really need to understand the life of a red ant. And so we became a red ant. And we discovered the life of a red ant in, the, in a red ant hill and what it's like, but yet we never stop being human. That's getting at it according to the, the famous logic of, of C.S. Lewis, who, who described what Jesus did to that of becoming a crab or a slug. To understand the life of a slug or a crab without ever, without ever putting off being God. It is it is a miracle. Now, this is the theological truth, but for Paul, all theology is doctrine on fire, and it's all pastoral. Never does the Apostle Paul introduce theology in some ivy tower way. He introduces it because it all has practical benefit for our daily lives. 
And so here he is showing that we gain by losing. He says, let this mindset of Jesus be in you. How will you suffer? How will you get along together knowing that often in suffering we turn, we fight, we, we bite each other, we hurt each other like animals who are suffering? How will we deal with suffering? How will suffering, in fact, miraculously be transformed into joy? Well, we will put on the mind of Jesus. Well, what is the mind of Jesus? We, we gain by losing. We put off the prerogatives, the, the rights that we have in order to empathize, in order to understand another person. Very recently, I observed a little boy with quite a shiner. Now that helped me to understand that boys with shiners in the playground still happen. Now, you know, if you don't know, a shiner is a pretty good mark right in the eye, which usually comes from a an interaction with another boy on the playground. He had a good shiner, and he was crying, which, which really uh, doubled and tripled his sense of isolation from the other boys. And the teacher, a young man who couldn't have been two years out of university, uh, slid down the back of the wall and sit down, sat down beside the boy uh, on the floor uh, of the, the hall and just decided to, to be with him. He didn't talk with him. He was just with him and drew his knees up in his arms and as everyone was passing by and all the others looking down at the kid with the shiner who was crying, there was the young teacher. He was looking at him too. What's the matter? You, you looking at something? He seemed to be saying. You got a problem? He seemed to be saying. He was there with the kid with the shiner. He was saying, I identify with this kid who just got beat up. Maybe he was... Maybe he had a shiner when he was a boy, I don't know. But at that, at that moment, as I saw that picture, I said, now, now that young man is not, not a teacher. He's an educator. Because what he is doing has a depth about it that transcends any paper he'll grade, any lesson plan he will construct. He has reached into the heart of that young man, that boy, and he's going to touch something very deep and help that boy to learn and maybe enact deeper learning. Who knows what that will do in the life of that boy or even in the lives of those who are watching. Now, who would want to be in that young man's class next year. 
Now, what if that attitude became my attitude in the way I relate to May? What if that attitude became my attitude as the transitional or interim pastor in the way I serve you? That I would gain whatever it is that I would desire to to gain in my relationship with you. I might have goals that I have for my time with you. I would like to see this accomplished and this and this by losing, by putting off prerogatives, by putting off any royal robes of rights. What if that happened with you and your son or your daughter? What what if that happened in your relationship with your professor at Wincott or UNCC or your students if you're a teacher or your employees at work? or God. Jesus said that if you want to find your life, you must lose it. And whoever whoever wants to To seek the kingdom of God has got to seek the kingdom of God first. Whoever wants the the rest of the things of, of life, you put the kingdom of God first. And these things, he said in Matthew 6.33, these things will come. That's a Palm Sunday way of living. That's a picture of Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey. The second waving of the palm of wisdom for this Palm Sunday that St. Paul has for us in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is this. It's not only that if we want to gain, we have to lose, but if the way up is down, the way up is down. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way to exaltation is through humiliation. In fact, this has been called a theology of humiliation. Humiliation in the betrayal of Jesus that will come. Palm Sunday is a portal through which Jesus will pass into Passion Week. And in Passion Week will come 
a time on his knees washing the feet of the disciples. It will come a time of the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, mandatum Thursday, mandatum from the Latin, uh, do this, uh, command Thursday, do this in remembrance of me. But then the betrayal, the betrayal after Monday, Thursday, the betrayal by Peter. I don't know this man, he said in the Galilean dialect, thereby revealing himself. And none were there save John, who stood with Mary and the other Mary. Humiliation on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no answer. There were no legion of angels. Humiliation. But out of the humiliation of the Passion Week, out of crucifixion, out of Holy Saturday, where his body lay on a stone-cold slab in a tomb, where he tasted death for us, came resurrection and ascension. He has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And Paul is saying, again, he is saying this not to simply give a confession of faith, but he is saying, let this mind be in you, because, again, back to the latter part of chapter 1, it has been granted unto you not only to believe, but to suffer in believing. Therefore, have this mind in you, what is that mind? Well, in order to gain, you're going to have to lose, and the mindset is also the way up is down. The way up is down in our relationship with others, and the way up is down in our relationship with God. Now, leadership knows this. The study of leadership knows this very well. The best kind of leaders are muddy boot leaders. Those are the leaders like General Eisenhower, the, the day before D-Day, and all the archival footage has it with that, that magnificent general from Kansas who was going uh, man to man with the 101st Airborne in those pictures and that famous grin there with the troops who wrote the letter and accepted defeat himself in case it didn't work as they were about to cross the English Channel and begin the greatest invasion in military history. It's the picture of one of the leaders of the free world, Winston Churchill, being urged by uh, the other leaders, get back as the bullets were coming on the front line. And he was there with that uh, iconic cigar and... Uh, surveying the action and the bullets flying all around. But he wanted to be there. He believed that his presence was somehow giving hope and courage to the other troops. The way up is down. No leadership understands this intuitively. Would I answer the door if there were a prowler at the door at 3 a.m. by telling a little daughter, now you, you run and go check the door and see, if, see what's there. I'll be in the bedroom and you come tell dad. 
and then expect that daughter or my wife to look at me as a leader? No. It would be ridiculous. We know that. And we must, Paul says, lead in this way in our relationships with one another. We must serve each other. This is the way the church serves the community. The way up, the way to realize goals is, is down, is low, is through servanthood. But in servanthood, there becomes a, a sense of exaltation. Wives, in a sense of service and love to husbands, Husbands seeking to serve wives, parents loving each other, and parents loving and children serving parents, and employees serving uh, employers, employers seeking to serve uh, uh, those who are employed. What a magnificent circle if God's word were applied in that way. And we serve God that way. The way up is down. That's what worship is. We go down in order to go up. We come like these children, waving our palms and our hearts. Lord, hear me. A humble sinner. And so I turn to my friend. And I said, tell me about your prayer life. He said, my prayer life? <laughs> he said, I've spent my whole life in prayer. The depression has forced me to my knees my entire life. I said, I could see that. You almost have an aurora of, uh, an aura of, uh, of prayer, a halo, of, as it were, around you. You are a man of prayer. He wipes his eyes. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you are a, a holy man before me. The thing that has sought to destroy you has driven you to your knees. The very thing that has sought to kill you has now saved you and caused you, shaped you to become the man that you are. I dare say that your people have been the most blessed people of all in this city. What is it that is the sorrow you feel in your heart today. The gospel of Jesus Christ embedded even in this Palm Sunday is that the thing that seeks to come against you is the very thing that God is using to bless you. It's what he is using in the gospel paradoxical Palm Sunday sort of way. to transform sorrow into joy. No, not the giddy sort of joy, but the deep, lasting contentment that he's in control. And you see, even death, which seeks to taunt you, will become a mere portal through which you will pass into an eternity of palm-waving joy.
This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us who have experienced this transformation cry out to you who desire it and say, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and pick up your palm. Come and wave with us, we who are the broken, we who, who have experienced this life. Come and join us. What a Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.